0: Happy graduation to all of our graduates that are watching uh, across the bay and across the nation and world. We are so proud of you. Wherever you're graduating from, whatever institution you're graduating from, uh, I just want to tell you, uh, you are amazing, and we're just super, super grateful to have this opportunity to honor you. So I want to pray for you if you're a graduate. I want to invite you to just stand, if you can do that, wherever you are, wherever you're watching us from across the country and the world, just stand, please. And if you are a relative or a strong supporter of the graduate, I'd just love for you to just put your hand on, on their shoulder if that if feels appropriate. You may have to stand and do that. Uh, if so, do so. And the rest of us, just hold your hands out like this as we, as we offer these uh, offer a word of prayer on behalf of our honored guests today, the graduates. Lord God, I want to give you thanks and praise for everyone that's watching me and listening to me who's a graduate. I thank you for how your grace and mercy worked in their lives, from the parents and guardians and strong supporters that you provided them, to the educators who equipped and trained them, to the resources and institutions that you made available. I give you thanks and praise for that. I thank you for how you added your strength to their tenacity to parents and guardians and supporters who would not allow them to give up, to educators who kept calling forth greater and greater greatness in the lives of those that they were equipping. And I thank you for the strength that you've added to the tenacity of these, uh, these students who are now graduating. They've pushed through a whole lot, but they've made it. Would you bless this day? Would you help them to know that, that you have called them for greater that they are part of your divine plan in the world. And would you use this message to equip them for the next uh, stage and season in their lives? And not just them, but all of us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, guys, as you are seated in uh, your various places. Listen, graduation is an amazing milestone. And so, once again, I just want to say, Uh, how super proud we are of those of you who are graduating. This particular milestone, however, is surrounded by tremendous hardship that's imposed by the pandemic and being sheltered in place. And it's in this context that I think there's some life lessons that both graduates and the rest of us can learn that will serve us well as we move forward. So to that end, if you've been following us, you know that we are teaching through the book of Acts uh, because we're believing God uh, who says to all of us, uh, he's calling forth greater in our lives. So uh, let's see what the writer has to say. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem And all of the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. As awesome as this day is, those of you who are graduating, God wants to do greater in your life. And in order for that to take place, there are some basic lessons that uh, is embedded in these uh, texts that I've just read that will well equip not just you, but all of us as we move forward. The first thing that springs forth out of this text is the fact that life is broken And because life is broken, life will tend to be, from time to time, unfair, painful, dangerous, and uncertain. First, the unfairness of life, as we see it here in the text. You will recall that we first met these believers who are now called uh, the community of the church back in Acts chapter 2. They, because of their relationship to Jesus, Old enemies had become new friends, and they were going from house to house in deep fellowship, worshiping and praising God, building relationships. They were selling their various resources to make sure that they were providing for the poor and and for widows and for orphans, and they were elevating women. They were reversing the status quo. They were amazing. And out of nowhere, Stephen being one of the first leaders of the church, persecution sweeps in on them because of the confession of their faith. That was unfair. Uh, Secondly, we see in the text notion of pain uh, that that Saul uh, is going about. We're going to talk about him in a few more weeks down the road. Is going about dragging these Christian believers out of their homes, beating them and imprisoning them, persecution has surrounded them. No one knows whether they're going to be the next person to be stoned to death like Stephen was stoned to death or be killed or put in prison. It was dangerous. You you, you hear in verse two how devout men in great grief had to bury Stephen. It was painful. And of course, we see in the text the uncertainty of life. On the, on, in one, a few chapters earlier, they are celebrating and rejoicing and blessing and, and, and the end of chapter two says they have, all, they have the favor of all the people around them and then almost overnight, that favor seems to disappear and the authorities are arresting them, beating them and killing them. The uncertainty of life. Now, here's the deal, guys. You know this because of the context in which you're graduating. You know that life will be unfair because it's unfair that uh, many of you, uh, none of you, as a matter of fact, had a chance to walk across the stage with your, with, your, with your peers. It's unfair that you can't throw a big party and people can fly in from all over the country. You, you, you get that, right? You, you get that life is painful because some of you, uh, perhaps watching me, whether you're a graduate or not, has experienced a painful loss of a loved one recently to covid 19 for which we are so so sorry you get life is dangerous because this whole shelter in place is a clear reminder of just how dangerous this uh 19 truly is and you get that life is uncertain because some of you uh you know people who were healthy on one day and sick the next some of you experience having a wonderful job just several months ago, being able to pay all your bills, and then suddenly, unemployment, the job is gone. There's difficulty in paying your bills. Uh, some of you are not able to stay in your own place. You're living with family and friends and relatives. You get the uncertainty of life. Now, here's the deal. I want to just say this to graduates. You should never be surprised when you run into life being unfair because life is broken. You must never be surprised when you run into pain and when you run into danger and when you run into the uncertainty of life. It's it's built into the brokenness of life. What I would have suggest to you, you've got to expect it, not in a morbid way, not in a a, a pessimistic way, but in a very mature way practical way as you proceed to move forward in life, you've got to anticipate that you're going to run into unfairness and danger and pain and uncertainty. Even while you're called to be a wonderful expression of fairness and justice in this broken world. You got to expect it. Now, here's the second thing that comes from the text. Broken life will from time to time produce huge obstacles and horrible disruptions to how we live our lives. Listen, this persecution that swept across uh, the entire Christian community there in Jerusalem uh, was both one and the same, a horrible obstacle and a a terrible disruption to the purpose and destiny of the people of God in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So you see the, I hope you see the progression here, right? Because we understand that life is broken, and because we know that it's going to be unfair from time to time, and it's going to have pain and danger and uncertainty, we have to expect that our lives will be disrupted by the unexpected obstacle or disruption. That brings us to point number three. We've got to practice the practical decision-making process to the one question. When you face a huge obstacle, when you face a horrible disruption, the question is, what will you do? What decision will you make? Will you decide to be overcome by that obstacle, by that disruption? Or will you decide to be an overcomer? That's the decision that you will have to make repeatedly as you go throughout life. Will you decide because the obstacle is so huge, the disruption is so painful that you're just going to quit, you're going to throw your hands up? Or will you decide that you're going to rise to the occasion and, and find a way to be an overcomer? Now listen, here's what I know to be true. Pick any person that you admire from any sector of life, business, politics, right, entertainment, sports, any person that you admire who's reached the top of their game. The reason they've been able to reach the top of their game is because they have what I want to call an overcomer mindset. Mindset. Let me give you a couple examples. Sylvester Stallone is an iconic actor known by millions upon millions for the incredible Rocky series that he produced and among other things. Most people do not know that when he was born that the person that was delivering him used, uh, rather than using uh, one instrument, they used two of the instruments to, to pull the baby out of the womb, forceps. and incorrectly using that second pair, crushed his left side of his face, pulling him out of the womb, damaging a nerve and causing lifelong paralysis. As a matter of fact, all of his life, he suffered with the, the bottom left part of his face being paralyzed and the bottom lip paralyzed. Just think of all that he had to overcome Think of the obstacles and the disruptions that came as his speech was slurred. Think of what it was like to grow up with that slurred speech and all of that. And yet, today that, that same speech that I'm sure caused him problems as a kid is part of his, of, his, of his trademark. The Sylvester Stallone way of talking. And he's won three Oscars and ten nominations and He's iconic. How did he do it? He had an overcoming mindset. What about Oprah Winfrey? Uh, Many of us don't know. She was born in the heart of rural Mississippi. Horrible poverty. And Despite all the problems there, they ultimately uh, would move her and her single mom to inner city of Milwaukee. She would be assaulted in a terrible way at the age of nine. And she would ultimately give birth to a, a, a little boy at the age of 14. And he would die. And can you imagine all of the horrible self-talk and all of the things that, that occupied her life as she moved from uh, teenage years to young adult life? And yet she took that pain and turned it into a gift of empathy that produced the Oprah Winfrey show that became an iconic show like none other. It is the most successful show of its type in the history of the world. And today she reigns as a, as, a, as, as a billionaire at the top of her game. How did she do it? She had an overcoming mindset. What's an overcoming mindset? Here, listen, graduates. An overcoming mindset has three things. Number one, it says, I will not quit. I will not give up no matter how hard, how difficult, how challenges, how challenging the what's in front of me. I will not quit. I'm going to overcome. Secondly, it says, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to figure out what does this obstacle teach me about my limitations? What does it reveal to me about my own giftings? What, 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 how, how can I grow and learn as a result of, of this particular challenge in my life? And thirdly, it's an attitude of being grateful for where you are and with what you have while you keep moving to the next level. That's an overcoming mindset. We find any superstar, they've got that overcoming mindset. Now, there's another category here that is captured by the word believers that I want to point you to, that every graduate and all of us need to capture, need to get. Notice in in verse 2, it says says that uh, when persecution swept across church, it says that all of the believers, watch this, all of the believers, uh, uh, was pushed out of Jerusalem into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4, it, it, it goes on, it says, but the believers preached the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. Believers. I want to raise here that part of having an overcoming mindset is really captured in the power of being a believer. Believer. And the power of belief. That's what we're learning here in this particular text. First, uh, one of the things that comes with being a, a believer and the power of belief is faith in a power greater than yourself. That's, that defines the people here in this text that, that, that they knew that they were serving a power greater than themselves. Now, let me just hasten to say By all means, you need confidence in yourself. By all means, you need to, to believe in yourself. That's absolutely true. But there will come times when the obstacles in your life will be so huge that the disruption in your life will be so horrible that the odds stacked against you will be so immense that if all you got is belief in yourself, you're more than likely to quit, to give up. But if you believe that there is a higher power, come on now, who is, 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 is a part of the reason why you're on the planet and that you're in relationship with that higher power, then you can bring forth the truth of God's word that declares greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Then you can live out the truth of scripture that declares you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves you. You see, you plus God is more than enough for any obstacle and any challenge in your life. That's the first insight. Believers believe in a power greater than themselves. Secondly, believers have what sociologists call, social scientists call an ultimate concern. An ultimate concern. What is an ultimate concern? Well, here was the mindset of the Jesus followers in the text. They concluded that through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus proved that he was the ultimate overcomer and that his task beyond resurrection was to raise up a community in partnership with him. Listen now, that would be about the business of overcoming all of the things that I just told you that is real about broken life. That, that, that the redemptive work of God is a work, it's a movement in the world that, that, that God has unleashed through the church to overcome the brokenness of life, the unfairness of life, to overcome the danger and the pain uh, and to overcome the uncertainty of life, to replace it with the certainty of lasting life. And those Jesus followers said, sign me up, I want to be a part of, of that greater movement, that work of redemption in the world. Now listen, uh, the other day I heard about a study that was done by the scientists of John Hopkins uh, University several years ago. They uh, researched, uh, they asked a single question to 8,000 uh, college students across the country, 48 different universities here in America and the question was what's the most important thing to you to their shock they expected folk to say money and houses and romance and all that stuff because we are talking about college kids to their shock 16% of the folks said that but 75% of the people said i want to find purpose and meaning for my life And if it was true several years ago, I know that it's even more so true now that this pandemic and this being sheltered in place, this notion, we are so acutely aware of the uncertainty of life, the unfairness of life, and the pain and the danger of life that surely uh, there is enough maturity in us that, that cries out and says, I want purpose and meaning in life. What's remarkable about these Jesus followers in that day is that they signed up to be a part of the Jesus movement, the redemptive work of God in the world. And they were, they were, they were listen, they were farmers and merchants and, and, and craftsmen. They had everyday jobs. They were husbands and wives and people who were single. They were parents and children. But the, the, the ultimate concern of their life was to be a part of God's purpose and plan in the world. And they were so committed, watch this, they were willing to die for it. They didn't want to die for it, but they were willing to die for it. Now, I want to paraphrase what Dr. King said on occasion. He says, until you figure out what you're willing to die for, you're truly not yet ready to live. Let me put it a different way. What are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to to die for. Whatever that is, that needs to be tied to what the social scientists call the ultimate concern that causes you to keep moving forward no matter what. Obviously in partnership with God. Thirdly, so remember first, the power of a believer is that you've got faith and a power greater than yourself. You're not just focused on yourself. Secondly, you have an ultimate concern that's tied to the redemptive work of God in the world, something greater than you, something greater than earning money or driving a nice car. And thirdly, the power of believers seen, listen, is seen in that believers have the power to see opportunity where others simply see huge obstacles and horrible disruptions. Let me just point out just a couple of things in this text. When you read that because of persecution, the believers were swept out of Jerusalem into the regions Judea and Samaria. Uh, What Luke wants you to remember is that in the first chapter of this book of Acts, chapter one, verse eight, when Jesus commissioned the church, he said, After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. As you go from Jerusalem, watch it, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I want you to get this. Listen, listen. God did not send that horrible disruption called persecution. He did not create that horrible obstacle to their future and to their destiny. But here's one of the things that's fascinating about living through broken life with God. When you're in relationship with God and when you have an overcoming mindset, when disruption comes, watch it. When major obstacles come, God will work through the midst of it to use that disruption to push you not away from your destiny, but towards your destiny. See, they were supposed to be ministering in Judea. They were supposed to be headed to Samaria. That was a part of their destiny. And and despite what the enemy would have for their lives, God used the horrible thing, watch it, to push them towards their destiny. That's an overcoming mindset, guys. That's, that's, That's the power of being a believer. And then verse 4, this notion of seeing opportunity where others see obstacles. It says, but the believers, as they went into Judea and Samaria, they preached the good news wherever they went. Here's the deal. As they were pushed into Judea and Samaria, they recognized that there was a whole new group of people who had not heard about Jesus, the ultimate overcomer, the one who overcomes sin through the cross, the one who overcomes death through resurrection, the one who overcomes brokenness and mistakes through forgiveness. And so they started to proclaim. And, and, and what they found was, was a fresh opportunity in new places. Now, that brings me to where I want to kind of wrap up today. There's been a lot of discussion around whether or not uh, churches should uh, uh, initiate in-person gatherings. And I just want to take just a moment, as we're talking about being a part of the great overcomer, Jesus, to talk about NBCC's approach in this season. A couple of uh, first things. I'm, just going to, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to take about five minutes to do this. Number one, here's what I want you to hear. In the text, it says that Saul was dead set on destroying the church. And here's what we know. He couldn't do it. No political power, no devastating plague can ever destroy the church. Jesus says the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church. And history is the proof of that. Church cannot be destroyed. That's part of the premise that we're thinking about. Secondly, uh, we don't use the language of reopening the church because as is true for countless churches all across the world, we didn't go out of business when folk got sheltered in place. We simply transitioned from uh, uh, worshiping in person to worshiping online. And, and we learned new ways. It has really forced us to learn new ways of proclaiming the good news of Jesus just in new places, just like the disciples did in the book of Acts. And do you know what? We are reaching more people across the country and across the world than we ever reached in our location when we're meeting in person. And guess what? People are still making commitments to Jesus. They're still... Uh, Joining serving groups, virtual serving groups. They're still joining small groups. They're still allowing God to change their life, even as you are listening to me, right now. So the church is in business, and we're so super proud of that. The third thing that I just want to say, from my perspective, and there'll be other pastors going to make other different sets of decisions, but from my perspective, listen, I do believe the church is essential, essential in this time. Absolutely. And because we're essential, it means that the decisions that we make in the midst of a pandemic will have incredible uh, consequences, if you will, on those that we are responsible for caring for and on a bigger world that we're responsible to leading in. Now, my wife is a physician. She helps to lead the COVID-19 response team at her hospital And she says to me that we've got a long ways to go before we get out of the woods and there's a whole lot we don't know as opposed to what we do know about this COVID deal. And so uh, our first task, my first task as a pastor is to make sure that I keep the people that I'm caring for safe. I don't want to perform any premature funerals. So with that as a context, And of course, the last thing I want to say is leadership. Whether fairly or not, people watching the decisions that we're making to determine, does the church really care about others or just about ourselves? And that's important to me. So let me just lay out really quickly. Here's our plan as we think about moving towards uh, uh, reigniting in-person gatherings. It's really red, yellow, and green. Red is we continue to do what we're doing. The only offering we're offering is online worship gathering, and we encourage you to be a part of it in powerful ways. As a matter of fact, through every stage, we're going to continue to offer online worship gatherings. So Gilda, who's watching in Brazil, and Mark, who's watching in New Jersey, guess what? We're going to always be here for you. Secondly, yellow, two steps. The first step is on the yellow, we will support... Families reaching out to extended family members and saying, look, come watch the worship gathering with us or maybe a small group coming together if they feel comfortable. The second stage of yellow is more robust small group gathering. Uh, Maybe multiple small groups will get together and maybe we'll start testing some groups in our facility. But then green, and I want to say that when it comes to green, That's a matter of months. It's not a matter of days or weeks when we get here. Green is go for us. That means we're going to have our online gathering. We'll have all of our small group gathering. But in addition to that, we will have a corporate worship experience, in-person gathering that reflects our DNA and our mission. What does that mean? Ultimately, it means that we'll be able to gather together uh, in a facility like this and we'll be able to worship and praise God without worrying about the public health concerns. And if people want to wear a mask or practice social distancing, they can, but they won't be obligated to. It means that we can do kids ministry without being overly concerned about social distancing rules. We can focus on discipleship and relationship. It means that fellowship in a facility like this, that that it'll be authentic and it will be real and that we can have maybe 50, 60, 70% of the capacity filled so that you feel the warmth. It's going to take some time before we get there, but I'm confident we're going to get there. Here's why I know we're going to get there. Because we are following the one who reminds us that he is the ultimate overcomer. Here's what he says in Revelations. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her and dine with them and they with me. And then he says this, watch this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. See, throne represents the place of victory. And what, what the text is saying is that in our relationship with Jesus Christ, He, he, he through the power of his Holy Spirit, he transmits his, his overcoming DNA to us. That ultimately, victory is not a destination, it's a mindset. And we shall, if I might borrow this phrase from history, overcome in Jesus Christ. God bless you. Happy graduation. Let me suggest that we take a couple of extra steps. There are connection cards attached to the website and also attached uh, in the app. And, you know, the first step is always an invitation for you to consider (laughs) becoming a follower of the ultimate overcomer. That's Jesus. If that's the case, you can check that. There's some other options there. And and under the response to the message, I just want to invite you to consider beginning to practice today what you're going to have to practice for the rest of your life. I want to invite you to consider writing these words or checking yes to this statement. I choose to be an overcomer. I choose to be an overcomer. And I can't wait to see you next week. As we continue to hear God say to us, he's calling us to greater. God bless you. Boy, it was a bomb hanging out with you guys, celebrating graduation. A couple of quick things. First of all, invitation. Can you say invitation? Listen, it's going to be several months before we start in gathering Uh, in-person gatherings again uh, around here. At the heart of our DNA is inviting people to experience the love of Jesus Christ and the power of that love. You don't have to wait till then. You can start inviting now. So I want to encourage you, man. Think about your family, your friends, and who can you invite to experience what you are experiencing every week? Share this link, invite them to join us. Secondly, I've got a Reflection question on, this, on the screen here, uh, which one of the areas that I talked about in terms of a overcoming mindset, uh, an overcoming mindset that you need to lean in and do some growth in and check this out between three and six o'clock today, we have a Zoom graduate party. It's going to be barbecue, live music for our graduates, all the folk who are associated with So go to our website, sign up, and then show up on Facebook. It's going to be the bomb. You can even make personal requests for music. It's awesome. A live D- DJ and everything.